Welcome to In Focus, a discussion of current issues affecting our economy, featuring a review of the latest research and analysis from the Washington Research Council. This is Emily Makings with the Washington Research Council. I'm here today with Chris Schoblum, our research director and senior economist. And today is the In Focus episode for May 18th. Chris, there was some big news today in the revenue collections world, forecast world. Yes, yes. Um, I think we're starting to head towards um, um, uh, closure on the budget, I think. The, the big thing that happened today was, the, uh, uh, was a revenue forecast, which had actually been accelerated by a month, uh, providing some new revenue numbers that would um, uh, pro- uh, provide the basis for a, um, a budget. Uh, that'll get the folks out of Olympia, and boy, are we going to be happy when they're <laughs> when they are out. But 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 this was preceded by some 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 things that happened last week. Um, uh, there were hearings on two um, revenue bills in the um, in the the House. Um, uh, the first was um, a capital gains tax uh, bill. There was actually a, a hearing uh, to, uh, before the House Finance Committee on um, House Bill 1484, um, which was uh, initially the uh, uh, governor's um, capital gains tax proposal. Uh, they heard uh, in the in the ho- in the House Finance um, uh, a uh, subs- proposed substitute bill, uh, which essentially would just incorporate uh, the capital gains pr- proposal that had previously been been offered up by uh, um, uh, by Representative Reuven Carlisle. Uh, as part of his larger, which was originally a part of his larger revenue um, uh, package, and and now this proposal would just simply pull his uh, capital gains portion of that into a standalone bill. Um, I not, don't know that uh, that executive action has been scheduled on this, but this may be part of a movement to actually get a uh, um, a standalone. Um, um, uh, capital gains tax um, to a vote in the House as a whole. Um, uh, secondly, on uh, later in the week, there was a hearing with House Appropriations, um, where the uh, uh, they pulled out a uh, again. We're looking at the uh, uh, ca- um, the cap and trade bill that the governor had originally advanced, and and pulling forward. Uh, a modification of that uh, substitute bill that uh, Representative Springer had uh, had offered up. Um, we wrote a brief thing on our a blog post on that that folks may want to read if they really care. Again, I think this is uh, attempting to maybe setting up uh, a, um, uh, a cap-and-trade uh, vote uh, in the House to actually approve some sort of a, a proposal. Um, there had been talk in the Senate that they really wanted to see the House uh, pass some piece of legislation that would actually fund their budget, and these two maybe may actually be uh, before going forward on full negotiations. And, right. and one of these two bills may fill that hmm. um, um, that need. Uh, then again, they may just go on and negotiate without having a bill passed. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, but then last week we got the uh, revenues. Um, a revenue collection report that, that showed that we were uh, marginally ahead of forecast, uh, 4.9 million, uh, excuse me, 4.6 million. Um, 
And then that fed into the big news, which was the revenue forecast that was uh, adopted by the Economic and Revenue Forecast Council earlier this afternoon. Um, so, so briefly, what was in that? So the, the, it was actually pretty good news um, on the, um, you know, looking at the general fund uh, account, uh, which is the, gets most of the headlines. Uh, the new forecast uh, for the current biennium that only has another month and a half to run um, added $106.2 million. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then... Uh, for the upcoming biennium, uh, the new forecast added um, 309.3 million. Uh, now, you know, we around the Research Council don't focus so much on the, the general fund itself, but on a roll-up that includes, besides the general fund, the Educational Legacy Trust account and the Washington Opportunity Pathways account. Uh, the latter two accounts, we're funding a fair amount of, of K-12 education and higher education from. Um, and and uh, the, the numbers for those two accounts are a little, are a little bit different. Um, it's uh, in the current biennium for those three counts together, it's uh, 79.2 million in additional funding. So a little bit less than in the general fund uh, alone. And, uh, but in the, uh, in the upcoming biennium, it's 326.7 million, which is a bit more than in the general fund alone. Uh, bottom line for, for the, those three accounts, adding together the two biennium, we've got uh, 406 million and more in funds. And that's real money. And that is real mm -hmm. money. I was real as forecasts ever <laughs> well, yes, are, yeah. but it's 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 money it? you can budget against, yes, which is yeah. what counts for real money in right. in the um, in the Olympia in yeah. Olympia today. So so that that gives a um, you know a, a significant amount amount of additional revenue to be played with on this. And I, I think that may be, you know, enough to let them figure out a way to get out of town. And to remind listeners, when the House and Senate passed their budgets, they were about a billion dollars apart. Yeah. So this goes, if all of this revenue comes in, in fact, it goes half about halfway towards the towards the difference. And, and then if then maybe they'll end up and then splitting the remaining difference, right. um, which is something that can be done without uh, with without one a major tax increase of the sort that was being talked about when the capital gains or the 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 the, the cap and trade we right. were just talking about that's uh, uh, you know tax uh, tax loophole here tax preference there uh, um, you could get out of here yeah. out of town. Uh, listening to the meeting, Representative Hunter was very skeptical about the the estimates for the marijuana funds. Yes, um, yeah, that's that's actually it's, um, and um, though all, though the, the there's a um, the, the the marijuana funds uh, were actually up uh, only 1.7 in the current biennium and only and 28.5 million in the in the upcoming biennium. So they're uh, only a small part of this increase we're talking about here. Um, but remember that the, uh, the, the Senate has proposed gaining a great deal more money from, rev from, um, from marijuana taxes, cannabis taxes, um, by uh, replumbing the way the money 
uh, flows under the initiative um, which uh, which legalized recreational marijuana in this state um, the um, uh, State was going to uh, a great a great deal of this funds is dedicated to various drug related health uh, healthcare programs and and uh, um, uh, Senator Hill would like to redirect that money most of that money to the general fund and, and with, with that if that redirection takes place then so the uncertainties around. Um, um, the marijuana revenue, which really has to have to do with the fact we're dealing with a a, a, pre, a market that had previously been illegal, and we're hoping that a lot of the uh, those transactions, previously illegal transactions, will take place within a within a legal market and then be subject to tax. But th those uncertainties about about the movement of illegal transactions into the legal market become more significant. Um, right. So, interesting. very interesting. Uh, it's it's actually you know it there is there is you know, there was a nice discussion about you know kind of kind of about about risk and and mm -hmm. how you deal with risk and and, and they were dancing around a a, a a terminology that's used in economics the difference between risk and uncertainty. Um, here, I think you know there's there's normal forecast risk out there because. Um, which you can think of as just kind of probabilities that you're you know think you're not certain about what's going on, but you, there are probabilities associated, and 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 you can assess those probabilities based on past history. Uh, and and the economists will talk about risk as being a situation where you really don't have the kind of past history that allows you to to create. Um, Probabilities that you have any any confidence in, and and I think that's what's that that kind of risk is what we have here. We're going off in the in a, in, a, in an area which we really don't have the kind of experience that allows us to to formulate uh, probability distributions and such things. Yeah, but overall, good news today. Overall, good. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a lot better than the alternative. Yes, <laughs> much rather be up a hundred million, uh, four hundred million, yeah. than down four hundred million. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yes. So, uh, all right. Uh, well, I was. I thought I'd talk about um, a new proposal to label genetically engineered foods. Yes. Um, as listeners know, Washington rejected an, an initiative that would have required all. F well, there were a number of exemptions, but it would have required. It would have uh, instated a mandatory labeling scheme for foods containing genetically engineered materials. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture has just announced that it is developing a voluntary program through which it would certify that products are free of genetically engineered ingredients. This is overall uh, a much better way to approach the issue because genetically engineered foods have been found to be safe by everyone pretty much they've been in our food supply for 20 years and basically if you've ever in the last 20 years if you've eaten any corn or soybean products or anything containing corn or soybeans you've eaten genetically engineered <laughs> foods and but this um but there are a number of uh, voluntary and market-driven ways that consumers can get can know that they're what they're eating is genetically it's free of genetically engineered ingredients and like 
including this new USDA proposal, including the private non-GMO project, um, including you can shop at Whole Foods, which by 2018 will be entirely free of genetically engineered products, according to them. Um, Chipotle just announced that it is going to um, not use any genetically engineered ingredients. So there are a number of ways that if you care about this, that you can... Um, that you can find products that suit your taste, which is much better than going than mandating it, and which would reduce choice in the long term for yes. consumers. Yes. So that's so, been interesting. It is very interesting, and I think, um, and this is something that uh, a number of the people who were opposed to the initiative here were hoping would happen on the national level, so that uh, it would provide the opera. Uh, Opportunity for people to purchase and um, GMO-free products uh, without uh, without going through the the, the the significant hassle that would have been involved with the alternate right. form of regulation. Right. So that's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Focus. In Focus is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. Your tax-deductible investment allows our work to continue. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.